that great or what? I mean, you and I get to be a part of that. Do you hear how many times they said first time, first place, first of all? It's an opportunity. And for those of you who got baptized a few weeks ago when you thought the water was cold, now that's cold. You and I have the opportunity to be a part of that. You may never get there. You may never see them. You may never know who they are. But you and I, every single Sunday when we put in the offering plate, we mark missions of any amount, you and I have the opportunity to be a part of that. And it's incredible. So thank you for giving to the Lord. A lot of information in your bulletin. Make sure you read it carefully so you don't miss out on anything. For the next few Sundays, actually, we're going to talk about some of the things that God is doing here. And you'll see a celebration video of some kind over the next couple of weeks as we continue to praise God for what he's doing at Community Alliance. Ten minutes after we're done in here this morning is Family Experience, Kids Stuff Theater, out those doors and through the glass and around the corner. Kindergarten to fifth grade, you will find it fascinating how many times what they talk about there corresponds with what we're talking about in here this morning. Venice and ticket dinner, ticket dinner tickets are available. Sometimes I just got to slow down to have my brain catch up. It is going to be a packed night. Need a lot of help. Tickets are out there. Those guys are going to be out there after the service. And those two ladies out there need a lot of help to be able to pull that off so that we can feed 950 men and boys in 23 minutes or less. So if you can help us out with that, we would really appreciate that. Been coming to Community Alliance for a while. Want to kind of find out what we're all about, what some of the next steps are. Starting point is that next step. So you'll see it in your bulletin. Sign up so we know how many to anticipate for that. Every year I teach a class for those who are getting married. And a few years ago, I opened it up to those who are in serious relationships and want to know what does it entail to have a marriage that lasts forever. And I'm going to share that that night and last year and the year before that way more, double more than actually who were engaged came and said how valuable it was to find out what it really entails to have a marriage that lasts for a lifetime. That's on March 4th. Again, we need to know how many are there so that we can have you signed up. I said it last Sunday morning, I could never thank you enough for all the cards and letters and notes. Over 210 cards and notes and letters came in. The fascinating part of that, a couple of things, were the stories. And it's not just stories about my involvement in their lives, but what God has done here and is doing here. And I read those over and over and over again over those last few weeks. It took me till 10 o'clock that night to finally read the last one. So thank you from the depths of my soul for that. My daughter put it on Facebook and thousands responded to, well, not oh, six, but anyhow. <laughs> I, I do want to ask one question, though. For those of you who were in leadership 22 and a half years ago when you hired me, what were you thinking when you hired that guy? And where did he go? That's what I want to know. We didn't see him. You didn't see him at all? Yeah. You won't see him again, as for the... <laughs> Last couple of weeks, you really had some powerhouse messages. And I had the opportunity to listen to Keith online. Joe, last Sunday morning, I was here. And I thought, man, are we really, really blessed. The thing I feel a little bit bad about is that I don't have a merry-go-round up here this morning. I don't have a weapon to show you. But um, a couple of number of years ago, I had a guy, I, I don't know if you, again, maybe not all of you are going to relate to this, but. Wouldn't it be cool just to get your hands on some of the most powerful weapons on the planet and kind of get a feel for what it's like? I had a guy a number of years ago who wanted to sell a gun to get rid of it, and so he sold me a raging bull. It actually is a raging bull. It feels like a mini cannon in your hands. But I've always wanted to be able to get inside a tank. 
and push that button. I mean, what a rush that would be to have that kind of power at your fingertips. Do me a favor this morning. Stick out your tongue for a moment and touch it. Come on, stick out your tongue and touch it. Now wipe your hand on your neighbor. No, don't do that. (laughs) Not in flu season. Don't do that. You and I, if you did it, just touched one of the most powerful weapons on the planet. Way more powerful than anything we saw. Way more powerful than anything you ever put in your hands. You and I just touched for that one moment this morning one of the most powerful weapons on the planet. And this morning and next Sunday morning, we're going to talk about the power of the tongue. We go back to James. We haven't been there for a while. We're going to continue over there for the next couple of months, right up until Palm Sunday and Easter. It is an incredibly powerful book. James touches on almost every subject. He begins by saying, folks, let me just give you some insights. Every so often, you ought to look in the mirror of God's word to make sure there's no adjustments you need to make. Every single one of you, when I get up this morning, look in the mirror. You kind of saw the hair's out of place, things are out of line, there's some things I need to adjust, and you did all that before you came here this morning. And you made the necessary adjustments so that you looked okay when you showed up for church on a Sunday morning. James said, I'd love for you to do the same thing with the Word of God. I'd love for you to do it every day. Every day you look in that mirror, every day I want you to look into the Word of God. And I got to believe as you do, that you'll recognize pretty quickly there may be some adjustments that you need to make. Now, maybe you'll also realize those adjustments are going really well. Things are going well. I'm seeing what I'm supposed to be in the Word of God. I'm thrilled with where I'm at in my journey with Jesus. And every once in a while, you'll probably see some things that you may need to adjust just a little bit. You know, there's some things in my life that I, I, I used to do that I don't do anymore. And now when I look at the Word of God and I see the things I'm supposed to run away from, I'm thrilled that I'm not doing that anymore. I'm thrilled that I'm not even drawn to do that anymore. And then every once in a while, maybe there's some things that you know you're doing that it tells you now that you're a follower of Christ, you not ought to be doing. And you need to make the adjustments. Are prejudiced. When I look at people, and especially when you look at an audience like this, we're pretty much all the same, but... When I find myself growing in Christ is when I find that I'm looking at people through the eyes of God. I don't necessarily see their color of their skin or or any of those kind of things. I, I see them through the eyes of God. And I recognize that they're all loved by God, cared for by God. A God who sent his one and only son so that every single individual on the planet, regardless of color, creed, or background, or country they're from, deserves to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to let that be evidence in me so that when I see people, I no longer see them through the grid of my own background or my own prejudice. I see them as people loved by God, some of them who really need Jesus. But I look at them different now. And if all of a sudden I don't or I'm judging them by what I see on the outside, maybe there's some pretty significant adjustments I need to make by that because God is not a respecter of persons. And I don't want to be that either. I'm looking at my faith in Christ and realize that it needs to be evident. Others need to recognize it. It it ought to be visible. Or otherwise, to be honest with you, they'd question whether or not it's real. Now, that doesn't mean you need to be an evangelist or work in a soup kitchen every weekend. 
But if you claim to have faith in Christ and you claim that the living life of Christ is in you, then it needs to come from you in some form or the other. Every single living thing has signs of life. Every single living thing has signs of life. If there are no signs of life, then it's what? Dead. And the only two things you can do with dead is bury it or resurrect it. But every living thing, if you claim to have the living life of Christ in you, then it needs to come from you. Don't just tell people you go to church. Tell them you go to church. Tell them you believe in God, but even Scripture says, even demons believe in God. They're going to want to know what difference is it making in your life. It's not enough just to say I go to church on a regular basis, I sit at Community Alliance, wherever it may be, I, I, I'm in a small group. What difference is it making in your life? James says, look, if you're a follower of Jesus, it'll make a difference in your life, and people will see that. And if you really want to know what a person believes, don't just listen to what they say, watch what they do, because what they do gives much more evidence at times what they believe than what they say. Now, when you get to chapter 3, which is where we're going to be this morning and next Sunday morning, He's going to take a moment to look in the mirror again. And what you'll notice, it's almost like he's shifting directions for a moment. He said, look, I want to be really clear. I don't want you to think that words don't matter. Remember in chapter 2? doesn't matter what you say, it's what you do. When he gets to chapter 3, he said, look, I want to be really clear on this. I do not want you to think that words don't matter because they do. They really, really do. This morning we're going to talk about the tongue and how that little small part of our body can bring such incredible blessing or do enormous damage. We all know the tongue can say some funny things. These are statements that people gave to the police after a car accident. One said, the guy was all over the road. I had to swerve a number of times before I hit him. Not sure if that's what he meant. I've been driving my car for 40 years when I fell asleep at the wheel and had an accident. This is my favorite. I pulled away from the side of the road. I glanced over at my mother-in-law and went over a bank. <laughs> the power of the tongue can also produce a lot of emotions. When the doctor calls and said, I need to talk to you this week about your test results, that one little statement carries with it a lot of weight. For those of you who remember junior high at all, when the teacher got up and said, close your books and take out a piece of paper, that little sentence meant I probably either am really prepared or I'm toast. And one of my favorites, when your wife says, honey, the doctor said he heard three heartbeats today. <laughs> the range of emotions is huge. Chuck Swindoll said this, to the doctor, the tongue is merely a two-ounce flab of membrane. It clothes in a complex array of muscles and nerves that enables us to chew and taste and swallow. It is also the major organ of communication that enables us to articulate distinct sounds with which we can understand one another. Without the tongue, no mother could ever sing her baby to sleep. No ambassador could adequately represent a nation. No teacher could stress the mind of students. No officer could lead their soldiers into battle. James, over the last few weeks, has been giving us some characteristics of genuine Christianity. The first thing that you'll notice, if I'm really growing in my faith in Christ, I will notice that I'm much more patient in trials and difficulty. I'm finding out now that I'm growing in my relationship with Jesus that I trust him a little bit more. I don't like it. I may not understand it. I wish he wouldn't let it happen. 
But I have found, now that I'm growing in my faith in Christ, that I'm a little bit more patient because I realize the end results of that are helping me deepen my walk with God. And I'm getting stronger in my faith as opposed to weaker. And as much as I wish he didn't have to do that to get me there, I'm recognizing that I'm a little bit more confident in my relationship with God because I'm trusting him even if I don't see the end results. Those who are growing by their faith in Christ recognize that I don't have to think about what I'm supposed to do to show the love of Jesus. It's coming natural. Now, there was a time in my spiritual life where I had to think, okay, I'm a follower of Jesus. What do I need to do? How should I respond to this? What should I do about that? But now that I recognize I'm growing in my faith in Christ, it becomes more and more natural. I recognize the opportunity and I just simply do it or I respond or I give or I pray. One of the things that I've found in my journey in regards to prayer, there are a lot of people that say to me on a Sunday morning, will you pray for me? And I will always promise that I will. What I find that works better is when I say, can we pray about it now? And sometimes it just comes naturally. I don't have to think about it. I just want to do it now. Praying all over the audience, praying out in the lobby, whatever that may be. And the third sign of a mature Christian, one who's really growing in their faith, is control over their tongue in your sermon notes. Control over their tongue. Now, he's already given some advice on this issue in chapter 1 when he said, hey, I just want you to listen really careful of this advice. Be very quick to listen and slow to speak. Listen carefully, and then be very slow to respond. I know you're going to be surprised by this, but you don't always have to have the last word. Are you surprised by that? We don't always have to have the last word. And most of the time when I'm talking to couples going through a difficult time, they'll just simply say, he doesn't listen to me. Now, for some of us, if they don't listen to me, well, they hear all your words. They're just not giving in to the behavior you want them to correspond with the words, and I get that. But many times I hear, just don't listen to me. And, and most of the time, your wives will tell you that. I don't want you to fix it. I just want you to listen. Be very quick to listen and slow to respond. In chapter 1, verse 26, he said, A believer who doesn't keep rain on his tongue is only kidding himself if he thinks he's growing in his faith. A believer that doesn't keep a tight rein on his tongue is only kidding himself if he thinks his religious life is in order. How many of you know somebody who really uses some foul language? Now, don't raise your hand. I'm just saying, I, I got to believe that somebody in your life does that. What intrigues me is when I'm around them or have been near them is that I will see them totally control it based on the environment. Now, they'll lie and say, well, it just comes out just the way I am, but it can be controlled. Now, even in a believer's life, James said, look, I just want you to know, followers of Jesus Christ know how to take a moment and respond, not react. They know how to just hear enough so that they're controlling their response to that and react appropriately. Now, he'll say here, it doesn't mean you're perfect. He just simply said, those who are maturing in Christ recognize I'm responding too quickly. I'm spitting out words that I shouldn't. I want to slow down enough to respond well. And nowhere does it matter what you say more than when you teach. James chapter 3, therefore, nowhere does it matter more than what you teach. Therefore, not many of you should become teachers. My fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be held more strictly or judged more strictly. That is a heavy verse. 
Every once in a while, I'll have people say to me, do you get nervous before you speak? Absolutely scared to death. There are times that I can't even stand up. I try to get all the air I possibly can. I'll think of verses like this or recognize the weight and the responsibility that goes with this. I'm scared to death. Back in the old sanctuary years ago, junior hires would sit with me up front. Thanks, babe, for sitting with me today, but nobody seems to do that anymore. But junior hires would sit with me up front. And I'm like two or three years into this ministry here, and one little girl leaned over and said, what are you doing? I said, I can't get enough breath. Did somebody take the air out of the room? And she said, do you get nervous? I said, oh, sweetheart, you have no idea how nervous that I get. Her name is Becca, and she leaned over, put her hand on my knee, and she said, you'll do fine. <laughs> We're still best friends to this day. Eight, ten years ago, I had AFib and ventricular tachycardia all at the same time, which ended up in the hospital for intensive care for a few days. And God, in his incredible mercy, through cardiac ablation and fixed it in his hand and all this kind of stuff. And every so often, I have to go back to the doctor and just get it checked. And a number of years ago, he said, I just want you to wear a monitor. I said, okay, I can do that. He said, for three weeks. I'm going, you're kidding me. So you get all these wires underneath your sweater and all this kind of a stuff. And after it's all over, you got to take it back. And he looks at the results. And he said, man, this is crazy. He said, why is it doing this on these few days? And I said, get out of the calendar. So he, and I love this guy. He got out of the calendar, took the time to do that. And we looked at it. And we both realized it's every single Sunday. <laughs> he went, Oh, that's right. That's what you do for a living. When I look at verses like this, I recognize that what I do and what all of us do on a Sunday morning takes on a whole new level. But James would have a hard time if he was just simply recruiting volunteers to teach, have a hard time get them. But I honestly don't believe that James is trying to recruit teachers. I believe he's trying to warn all of us. Be very careful about wanting a place of influence for the wrong reason and make sure you clearly understand your position of influence. Teachers in his day were highly revered, especially rabbis. They had more influence than parents. The scripture very clearly tells us in your notes, the greater the responsibility, the greater account we'll have to give. For everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And for the one who has been entrusted with a lot, much more will be asked. Those who have that responsibility of being a leader, Hebrews says, who speak the word of God to you, consider the outcome of their way of life. Imitate them, which means people are watching how we live our lives. And the weight and responsibility of that is enormous. What you and I need to keep in mind is when we look at a section of Scripture like this, we need to remember that it doesn't just apply to those who teach a class and stand in a pulpit. Every single person, every single one who influences somebody, every teacher, regardless of their position or the size of their classroom, is responsible for more people than themselves. So in light of that, the accountability goes up. And the influence on those that we teach is enormous. I mean, the, the, the article this week, I was on TV a couple of times, the teacher in California that was berating soldiers. And then everybody was saying, do you realize the influence you're having on this generation when you put these people down who stood and firmly guarded our faith and our nation, gave their lives, and you're putting them down? How do you not know you're influencing the next generation? This text speaks to every pastor, every worship leader, every youth sponsor, every college professor, every business leader, every boss, every small group leader, every Sunday school teacher, every elementary teacher, every high school teacher, every foreman, every shop steward, every coach, every mom and dad. Do you realize and recognize how broad this text then goes? 
So it's not just for those who stand in the pulpit or teach a class. This goes to all of us. Every single one of us in some fear, sphere or the other are influencing somebody else. And James says, I just want you to know your influence, how you use your words, how you use that little two-ounce flab of membrane in your body has enormous significance on those who hear what you say. You and I know both coaches and, and moms and dads specifically With words, they can do one of three things. Intimidate, humiliate, or motivate. Right, coach? I mean, just with words, you can humiliate, you can intimidate, or you can motivate. I've seen more moms and coaches just screaming at their kids in public. Coaches that drive me crazy when they're just screaming and berating these kids. You can use words to motivate. It doesn't always have to be intimidate or humiliate, but all with the power of the tongue. This text is for every single person of influence who needs to recognize the power of that position and who really need to understand the power to change a life or destroy a life. Now, it's important that we don't let this text intimidate us, but let it challenge us and motivate us and accept the responsibility that goes with the position of influence. One of the most powerful means or methods of influence is the power of the tongue. So James says, those who consider themselves to be religious and yet don't keep a rein in their tongue deceive themselves, and the religion is worthless. Here in chapter 3, he says, look, I get it. Your position of influence is huge, and not everybody's going to be perfect. We all, verse 2, you have it in your notes and you have it on your Bibles. We all stumble in a variety of ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. So he honestly admits, we've not mastered it. I'm not perfect, like Paul said. Not gotten there yet, but I'm telling you, this is where I'm going. The thing that stands out in this text is the cause of that to be so true. He goes on. When we put bits in the mouths of horses and make them obey us, we turn the entire animal around. Take a ship for an example. They're large, they're driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder anywhere the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by yet such a small spark. A tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the entire body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and itself can be set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals and birds and reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But it seems like no human being sometimes can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise God our Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's image. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. How can that be, my brothers and sisters? Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce water. Now, there, this Sunday and next Sunday, a, a couple of things that we need to keep in mind. There is the temptation, if we're not careful, To look at a section of scripture like this and think, man, I hope so-and-so is here because, boy, do they need to hear this. What we need to do in response to this message is go, wow, does my tongue have power? Does what I say have influence? I'll be really honest, God. My tongue 
can be out of control sometimes. I'm not talking to typical, you know, once the toothpaste is out of the tube, you can't put it back in. That's true. But man, every once in a while, I just respond inappropriately. And I now clearly understand how this position of influence you place me in, in a thousand different ways, needs to be under the power of the Spirit of the living God. Because I don't do well at this. And so, God, will you help me? That's the response. Now, the subject is enormous. All the way from gossip, have you heard? To slander. I mean, I believe in the First Amendment. I've placed my hands in the Bible. I've raised my hand. I will defend, support the Constitution of the United States. That First Amendment thing has been gone way too far in a lot of people's lives. They think they can say anything they want to say. And also refers to lies. People say, I'm sorry, and didn't mean it. Not a wife in here who wants, doesn't want their husband. Just be honest. Every time I do premarital counseling, I'll share it in a seminar in a few weeks. I'll say the one thing that a wife wants, one thing that a mate wants, is absolutely flat-out honesty from their man. Now, guys want it too, but it's much more incredibly important for a gal. I have couples in my office, and, and I'll say to them, you, you know, uh, talking about every issue of their life, and they're not getting married yet, not married yet, and then I'll separate them every once in a while, and the, uh, the girl will walk out of the room, and I'll say to the guy, you, you, you're trying to stay pure? Yep, absolutely, Pastor, we really are. And then I'll flip it, and the gal will come in, and I'll ask her the same question. She said, not at all. Now, how he doesn't know, she just came in there afterwards, I don't know. It's like you're both in the same room when this happens, right? Romans 3, their tongues open grave. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. Uh, Psalm 34, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Proverbs 12, the, the words of the reckless pierce like swords. And the tongue of the wise brings healing. The soothing tongue is a tree of life. A perverse tongue crushes the spirit, like I said a moment ago. Those who guard their mouths and their tongue, they keep themselves from calamity. And one of the easiest ways to sin is with the tongue. It's one of the easiest ways to hurt someone that you wouldn't or couldn't do physically. Some people do it so well, it almost comes naturally. Sins of the tongue can hurt and leave marks and wounds more serious than bruises or cuts. We all grew up. Sticks and stones will hurt my bones and names will never hurt me is a lie. In all my years of ministry, you can't imagine the amount of people who have said if they would have just encouraged me once. Beaten, abuse, and all that other stuff, it makes me sick. And, and certainly want to deal with that. But I'm talking just with the words. What people have done and can do. That last a lifetime. And change somebody's world forever. Isn't it funny how God walled in the tongue behind my jaws and my teeth. But it can still somehow do damage. David said in Psalm, I'm going to watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. i got to put a muzzle on my mouth sometimes. Proverbs 10, sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. Proverbs 18, the tongue has the power to give life or to bring death. Three things, one only we'll talk about this morning, the next two next week. Number one, the, sin has, the tongue has the power to give direction, verses 3 and 4. Number two, it has the power to do damage, verse 5. And the tongue, number three, has the power to reveal what's really inside us. 
Jesus said, I just need you to know, out of the heart comes words. Out of what's in here, what's really going on in here, it comes out. Look at the first one just for a moment as we wrap up. Power to give direction. He's saying, I want you to clearly understand, when we control our tongue, we have the ability to put people in the right direction. Now, when we lose control of the tongue, they can be misdirected or move in the wrong direction. We literally can set people in the right direction by our words. Words of encouragement, especially with our children. Words of blessing. You know you have enormous potential. You know you can be whatever that may be. I just want to encourage you. I just want to give you a blessing. I want to bless you. I want to pray over you. I want to encourage you regularly. Are they going to have days of misbehavior? Absolutely. you got a perfect one. I'd love to know who that is. And sometimes they're going to drive you crazy. We Skyped our kids yesterday and watching my daughter. Someday she said, you, you want to keep him for a few months? You know, so I get that. I thought it was just going to be for a couple of days. She said, we'll leave him. You know, I get all of that behavior issues, but I love the encouragement that she gives. I love the blessing that they pour out on them. You and I have the opportunity to do that, to be able to set people up in the right direction, to allow them to reach incredible heights by our ability to cheer them on. And those of us who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior ought to be the best at that. I mean, those of us who know Christ is our Savior, we ought to be masters at being able to put wind back in people's sails, to encourage them in life, to give them encouragement, to motivate them, to inspire them, to be all that God designed them to be. That's what you and I ought to be known for. And Paul says, James says, look, there's a lot of marks of your maturity in Christ, a lot of measuring things that you can look at to see how well you're doing in your journey. Things that you now do naturally that you had to think about before that just come out. Ways that you treat people the way you look at people and not evaluate them based on what you see from the outside. And I'm telling you, if you clearly understand the value and the power of words, you will motivate, you will encourage. You'll be able to stop for a moment and think the impact of the words that are going to share. Over the last few weeks, obviously, I read a lot of letters and a lot of incredible things that were said and shared and had the opportunity to talk to some people uh, about people who've been involved in our lives that have encouraged us down through the years. And while I was away, I finished a book, and near the end of the book, it said, and it was all about ministry, and it said 80% of those who go into ministry leave within the first five years, and of every 20 who start in ministry, only one retires still in ministry. And I thought, wow. Here I am on this side of it. I'm thrilled that I'm coming out this side. What it caused me to do is to go back in my life and think of the people who just encouraged me, who saw a long-haired, crazy guy who said, you know what? I think God has his hand on you. I think God could use you someday. And the list is endless. I had an elder in my first church who every week would stop by with a cup of coffee and just say, how's it going? How can I pray for you? Man, you're doing a good job. I mean, we were so different. This guy came in every single time in a suit, full suit, pocket thing and everything to match this tie. And me. And try to picture those two together with that guy you just saw on the screen. But man, he encouraged me. Here I am now the, near the end of, uh, of this, er, at the end of this 40 years journey. And I got an elder here who's called me every single week for 22 and a half years. At least once. To say, how can I pray for you? 
There's a lot of you in the room saying, okay, I would have given anything to have one of those people in my life. I had a dad, I had a mom, whatever the story may be. I had an aunt, I had a teacher, I had a... The, the list is endless, and, and I get all of that. Believe me, after all these years of doing counseling, you can't even imagine the stories that I've heard. So I totally understand that not all of us in the room had those kind of people in your life that encouraged you, loved you, said the right words at the right moment in the right way, that put wind in your sails and set you to the next level. But you can be one of those. You may have not had one of those, but you can be one of those for somebody else. Your influence, regardless of your position, is enormous. And most of it comes in that little two-ounce piece of membrane behind your lips. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for the power of influence of people in our lives who've been so incredibly encouraging and loving and sharing. I don't know where I'd ever be if I didn't have all of those people in my life. And for a lot of us in the room, we all of a sudden immediately thought back to that one or two or five or 10 or 20 people in our lives who've also done the same for us, encouraged us, loved us, believed in us, said words at the right time and the right way that set us to the next level. And I kind of believe that all of us may have one person that comes to our mind. So would you, by the power of your spirit, right now, would you please do that, Jesus? Bring to our minds somebody that we can bless, that we can encourage, that we can motivate by our words. Did you get a picture? Father, help us to do it. May the meditation of our heart, the motives inside, and the words that we share be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And may we be the kind of people that live it out in the power of influence in our words. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here this morning. Ten minutes from now, family experience kindergarten to fifth grade. Next week, today, the power of influence. Next Sunday morning, power of words. We'll see you then.